The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What would you do if you drove out to a bridge in the middle of the night and there was a baby there? A baby who wanted you as his new mom? And then we travel back to the year 1982 to meet a legendary rocker on tour in America. Everything was going according to plan until the aliens froze his genitals. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It's a countdown to Halloween. Unless you're not listening to it the day it came out. For all I know, it's March 2032. But either way, either way, hope you're getting ready for Halloween. But someone who's always ready for Halloween, no matter what month it is, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is our newest Patreon supporter, dressed up as a giant bumblebee. Everyone give it up for Gertie Gwyninor. Woohoo! Yeah, come on! <laughs> She's shaking her little bee head. It was that close. Gertie Gwyninor. Is her name? I believe. I believe she uh, sent me the correct pronunciation, and hopefully I said it right. Gertie, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really, really helps out a lot. Gertie, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Fly us on out with your little bee body to Delaware. <laughs> For all I know, she's allergic to bees. She's like, that's the last thing I would dress up as. But flying out there, flying out there, apparently if you dress up in the costume, you are the costume. You got six arms and you're super tiny. You're flying us out to Delaware. Now we're going to take a look at some very interesting ghost stories in Delaware. And I hope you guys like this ghost story a day for the month of October because I'm never doing it again. We've covered a lot of really good ghost stories, but man. We fly all the way out to Delaware, and it's late at night. It's about 2, 3 in the morning, and we're out in the outskirts of Smyrna, Delaware. There's this little stone bridge there. Not like cobblestone, not like old-timey. It's concrete, I guess would probably be a better way to describe it, a more accurate way. There's this concrete bridge out there. It's not spooky-looking. I, I imagine when I read this story, I imagined it was going to be like wooden with a couple beams missing, a couple ruined cars in the lake below. I actually don't even know if there's running water under here. It might just cross a canyon. <laughs> like, Jason, shouldn't you be the one doing all this research so you can accurately tell the story? Well, yeah, probably, probably. But anyways, there's this concrete bridge here, and it's known as Crybaby Bridge. Now, Crybaby Bridge, these stories are everywhere. Almost every city, I won't, say, I won't say every city in the world, but in a lot of, especially rural locations, there are crybaby bridges, and the phenomenon is this. You go out to this bridge late at night, you hear a baby crying underneath the bridge. <laughs> Which would be alarming. 
I, I, I would say this. As a ghost hunter, if you find yourself going to a place called Crybaby Bridge late at night, and you do hear a baby crying anywhere around you, under the bridge, in the bushes, or whatever, don't assume it's a ghost. <laughs> don't just assume it's a ghost. It might be a live baby. I, I wonder how many people like want to get rid of their kids, and they go, oh, man, I really don't like this kid anymore. But I can't go to prison for murdering it. <laughs> this episode got dark real quick. What if I took my baby and dropped him off at that crybaby bridge everybody's talking about? Then the baby would cry in the darkness all night long and no one would discover him. And then he would die due to the elements. Man, this got really dark. I don't... I don't answer my question. I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think anyone has wanted to get rid of their baby and then also driven to a remote location of an urban legend to do it. But who knows? Who knows? It's possible, right? In an infinite timeline in multiple universes, I'm sure on one of them that scenario has happened. But crybaby bridges are super common. So when we look at Delaware's or Smyrna Delaware's version of the crybaby bridge, you think, oh, we're standing out on this concrete bridge. It's late at night and you hear this baby crying. And after a good two or three hour long search party, as you're like, Jason, trust me, that's not a real baby. That's a ghost baby. And it's like, but we have to be sure. Infinite timelines. After we're all done searching for this baby, there's no baby. There's no baby. It's actually a ghost baby. We go, well, you know, this is typical of the crybaby bridge phenomenon. We have these babies crying in the middle of nowhere. What's interesting is this one also has some of the hallmarks that we see of crybaby bridges. Where if you park your car in the middle of the bridge and put it in neutral, it'll roll backwards. It's supposed to be ghosts. It's not because the bridge is angled or anything like that. It's supposed to be ghosts pushing it. We see that a lot. That happens a lot in these uh, crybaby bridges things. Sometimes they'll put uh, baby powder on the back of the car to taunt the baby. You'll never have this. You'll never have baby powder. You put baby powder on the back of your car. Sometimes these bridges aren't necessarily baby related. There are a bunch of a bunch of uh, kids have died. <laughs> I don't, this show is so dark. This shows I never meant for it to be so disturbing. But all of these stories involve dead children. All of these ghost stories involve dead children. You put baby powder on the back of a car, and they say that your car will roll in a certain direction, and you'll see a little handprints of all the kids who had died on the bridge because a train hit them or something like that. And now they're trying to push your car out. <laughs> they're pushing your car into the train. You're like, no, no, stop it. Two more payments and it's mine. These are very common phenomenon in these areas. The reason why we're at Smyrna, Delaware, though, is that this one has some unique characteristics. The story goes like this. At Smyrna, Delaware, a long time ago, a teenage mother gave birth to a little baby boy. Ugh, ugh, get out of there. Ugh. And it comes out, and she's like, I, apparently she did this in like a wood shack or something like that. There was no doctors around. She gives birth to her own baby, and she goes, oh, baby, my favorite baby, my only baby. I'm going to call you my wood shack baby. And she goes to hug it, and then she realizes that her baby is super deformed. So she takes her baby out to... It wasn't called Crybaby Bridge before this. It was just called, like, Bridge 81 or whatever. Country Road Bridge. She takes her baby out to this remote bridge, and she's like, see you later, and she chucks the baby off the bridge. 
that would be the birth of, or the Bad Choice Awards, but that would be the start of any crybaby bridge legend. Usually a baby has to die for the crying to be heard. But the reason why she chucked this baby off a bridge was its deformity. And its deformity was he had huge legs. So regular baby head, regular baby body, but these massive legs, these big meaty thighs and calves that any bodybuilder would die for. She chucks it off the bridge. She goes home. And so at the crybaby bridge in Smyrna, this deformed baby's ghost still roams this area. And sure, it'll cry. It'll cry in the darkness for you. And sure, your car will roll. Put your car in neutral. Which I've never... (laughs) Every car will roll in neutral. But anyways, roll uphill. This baby wants a new mom. This baby grew up in a canyon. It didn't grow up. It died. It died pretty quickly. It was checked into a canyon. But this baby wants a mom. And this baby has some powers to ensure that you may be its next mother. Now, I've never seen this before in a crybaby bridge story. What happens is if you go to the crybaby bridge late at night, you'll find... <laughs> this actually sounds quite terrifying. I can't imagine a scenario where this would be any good. Your doors all lock. All the car doors lock. Click, 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 click. What? Okay, we can't get out. Well, why would we want to get out? There's a big, there's a ghost baby running around, and it locked our doors magically. Good, we'll just stay in the car. Then, this ghost baby will roll your windows down. That's such a bad combination, right? Being locked in a car with your windows rolled down, now you're just vulnerable. You can't get out, but something can get in. Right. Something baby-sized, maybe, right? If it was a full-sized man outside my car, not being able to roll in my window sucked. I remember once I picked a fight with a guy, and I was driving a convertible Mustang, and I kept cutting this guy off. I think he cut me off once, so then I kept cutting him off on purpose. Like, I was I was being a jerk, to put it lightly, right? And I was, like, laughing, and I kept cutting him off, and I'm like, this was, like, on a city street, too. Which wouldn't have been any better if it was in the middle of the country. Eventually, he cut me off, the light turned red, and he jumped out of his car with a crowbar. And I don't have a roof. I don't have a roof on my car. I don't have any way to protect myself. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, I figured something like this might happen, but (laughs) I guess I I should have known what was going to happen. My brains were going to get bashed in. I'm in a car, stuck in traffic with no roof. A guy gets jump, jumps out with his crowbar. I almost became a ghost that day. His girlfriend jumps out, is trying to drag him back to his car, and I just go, I'm sorry, bro. I'm so sorry, dude. I didn't even see you there, bro. I'm sorry, sorry. And then he got back in his car, and I cut him off. <laughs> right when the light turned green, I slid right in front of him. Almost caused a big car accident because I just slid right in front of him, and I sped off and laughed, and I made sure he knew I was laughing. I was waving at him and stuff like that. So I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be a Dennis the Menace type character in an automobile. I know what it's like to be trapped in an automobile, even though I had no roof. My options are really limited. So, windows roll down, you're locked in the car. There's a baby. There's a baby out there. A ghost baby. And then, because this guy has such massive legs, what he does is he kicks over trees. And he makes trees fall down on the bridge. And then you definitely can't get away. 
And then he goes, Mama? Mama feet, baby. Mama. And he starts walking towards the car all slow and creepy. I guess he, I guess he, he could totally walk with a strut like he owns the place. It's terrifying. It doesn't matter how he's walking. It's a ghost baby with massive legs who just kicked down a bunch of trees and blocked your escape. What's interesting is, so here we have this story. On the one hand, we have so many tales of the crybaby bridges that it's just a known phenomenon. All over the world, you can find a crybaby bridge. What makes this one interesting is the deformed baby kicking over trees. And it, at this point, you you have to go, how much of it is true? You're like, Jason, probably none of it. Probably none of it involves a super strong baby kicking over trees. But it says that this baby's always looking for his mom. And people are always going out here. Like, I just randomly found a group of ghost hunters, these two ghost hunters who were driving out there trying to hear the baby. They didn't hear anything. And then they said, as we were out there, another car pulled up, so we left. But we figured they were also just some kids out there trying to find a ghost baby. Like, a lot of people are going out here. You have to wonder how many people have gone missing. How many trees have been kicked over? Probably none, right? But it's an interesting story because it's such a bizarre... It's it's such a specifically bizarre ghost story. A mutant baby kicking over trees. I wonder if they have had, like, one time back in the 1950s, a tree just happened to fall over. And they connect. They then back. Then they made up the story about how that tree fall over. Oh, the baby wants to kick it over. They're like, you're an idiot. If you think that that's a, a reasonable explanation, it might have been that hurricane that was going on. I don't know where the mutated baby came in. Obviously, I couldn't find any proof of this. There were no news reports of a teenage mother throwing her baby off the bridge and then getting arrested and stuff like that. And as she's being dragged off to the jail, she's like, you should have seen his legs. You should have seen his legs. You would have done it too. You would have thrown him off a bridge. None of that. None of that. So I don't know how we went from a crybaby, a very standard crybaby bridge story, to a mutant baby with big old calves. But an interesting story nonetheless. And the next story we're going to see also in Delaware kind of makes you think that Delaware hates children. That's kind of what I'm thinking here. Because on the other side of Smyrna, we're still in Smyrna. Gertie, let's go ahead and have you drive the Jason Jalopy around town. We're headed out to the Vila House. The Vila House is another ghost story that I really tried to find some proof that it happened. And it's one of those stories that I'm glad I didn't find anything. <laughs> because this one's absolutely horrifying. We walk into the Vila house and people are eating dinner. They're like, what are you guys doing here? We're like, oh, we're ghost hunters. Don't worry about it. We're sitting in the living room and we see a little boy standing in the corner of the room. That kid actually is dead. That's a ghost you're looking at. And at that point, you notice that the boy is holding a funnel. He's just holding a funnel. What in the world's going on? And you'll see him kind of walk around the living room holding this funnel. <laughs> We're trying to throw ping pong balls in it. That's the whole ghost story. There's a little boy who walks around with a funnel in this house. But you go, what? why? Why is this kid walking around with this funnel? Apparently, again, I wasn't able to find any proof of this. And I, I'm very, very thankful I wasn't able to. Apparently at this house, some people say this happened before the house was even built there. This house was built on his grave. Other versions of the story said this happened in the Vila house. But this young boy 
had a horrible father, horrible, horrible dad. And one day the dad was like, I'm super crazy today. And he tied up his son, stuck a funnel in his mouth, and poured gasoline down the boy's throat. And then, you, you guys kind of know where this is going, unfortunately, right? No one's like, oh, I'm done. You're full of gasoline. He poured gasoline down this kid's throat, poured gasoline all over this kid's face, and he lit the boy on fire. Burned him up. And so that's why he's standing there holding the funnel in this house. Other people say that at this house, sometimes when you're in the bathroom, of course, I hate bathroom ghosts, they're scariest. When you're in the bathroom... You know, when you shut the light off and there is that moment where you hit the switch and it goes from light to dark. There's like a brief moment in between that it's never instantaneous. In the moment as the light is going off, but before full darkness has enveloped you, you'll see the boy standing behind you in the mirror. I would rather I'd rather him be walking around the house the whole time than that. That's just terrifying. I guess if he was walking around when I was taking a shower, that's the worst of both worlds. But funnel... Or no funnel, this boy may have died in this house. Again, I couldn't find any proof that this horrible crime actually happened. One of the reasons why I wanted to highlight that one, and we'll move on to the next story in a second, but I want to highlight that one because we'll see this from time to time. We'll see ghosts holding their instrument of destruction. The way that they died, they will continue to have it in the afterlife. It's not super common, but I wonder why that is. Because not everyone who gets their head chopped off walks around with an axe. Not everyone who gets hung walks around with a noose. But every so often we'll see ghosts like this where they are holding something that killed them. I have another story coming up that also has that characteristic. It's fairly rare. The boy walking around holding a funnel for the rest of his life. For all I know, he loved funnels. It was his favorite activity. And his dad just got tired of it and put a funnel in his mouth one day. I don't know. I don't know why some ghosts have this. I also don't know why some ghosts have gory, bloody heads chopped off. And then there are people who died in the Civil War who were like walking around their home in a crisp uniform, even though they got gangrene and their leg was sawed off on some table in the middle of Charlottesville. I don't know why some ghosts appear whole and some don't. Why some ghosts hold the way or carry the way that they've died into the afterlife. But it's just a fascinating story. Gertie Gwen Inor, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Delaware. We are headed all the way out to Richmond, Virginia. The year is 1982. We're in Richmond, Virginia. We're at a Sheraton Hotel. Actually, we're working there. We all got jobs as bellhops and maids, and I'm the manager, I'm Mr. Mosby. Oh, Zach and Cody, you stop it. We're all working at the Sheraton Hotel. And I was like, you guys better keep those rooms spick and span because the band The Kinks is coming here soon. And you're like, yes, sir. And you're like marching around and you're like cleaning stuff up and brushing things. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, ha, ha, ha. My favorite band, The Kinks. They're the ones who have that song. You really like me now. Or what? It, what is it called? Yeah. You really like me now. And I'm like sitting there and I'm humming it to myself. And you're just like, oh man, what a lousy boss. That's not even the name of the song. Did he not write down the name of the Kinks' number one song? I'm just sitting there. I'm listening to the Kinks on my record player. And I was like, dude, I can't believe the Kinks are coming to this hotel. 
And then I hear a bunch of girls outside the hotel screaming. And I was like, oh, that must be the kinks. And sure enough, I walk outside the office. We're all standing in line. Like we have, like basically when the Emperor was on the Death Star, we're all standing in these lines. And the kinks are walking into the Sheraton Hotel. You got some guys, I didn't write down their names. But the one we're going to look at is Dave Davies. This 35-year-old dude, he's the member of the kinks. And I'm like, Dave Davies, you're my favorite one. <laughs> That's the reason why I only wrote your name down. And they're like, what? I'm like, the kinks, you're so good. I love all your music. I love that one song especially. And I'm shaking their hands, and we're all like shaking the hands of all these. How many, how many people are in the kinks? I don't know. But Dave Davies, he's like, oh, bollocks. Another hotel in the old colonies. Yes. I'm used to playing music over here because I'm in the kinks. But something's wrong. And we see him kind of wander off. So we're like, we don't care about the other members of the kinks. So we're kind of following Dave Davies as he's walking through the hotel. And he's like, why does my body feel so weird? And he walks into his room and he lays down on his bed. And we're hanging out. We're just standing over him as he's laying in bed. He's like, oh, my body. Why do I not feel like me old self? And then, beamed into his nose are the strongest smells he's ever smelt. He sits up straight and goes, Ah, oh, limey. That is pure frankincense. Oh, is that a bit of rose vinegar? Ah, oh, yes, lilacs in the spring. But why am I smelling all of these smells? Why are they... He described these things as being so fragrant, it was like you could scoop them up with a spoon. He smells all of these smells just obliterating his nostrils in a good way. It's that good kind of obliteration. And what he comes to realize is he is being contacted by five mystical beings. Aliens not just from another world, but from another reality, another dimension. A place so unlike what we know as reality, they have truly ascended over all reality. He says that these smells are actually the way that these five mystical beings are talking to him. He's able to decipher the smells to receive these messages from the ascended ones. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's having a stroke, right? He's having some sort of serious medical complication that's causing him to hallucinate these smells. Now, I've mentioned before on this show, when I get really, really, really stressed out, I will hallucinate smells. That's when I know that I need some rest. I'll actually start to smell raw sewage. It's not because I'm walking by a Taco Bell. It's not because I'm walking by a Taco Bell dumpster. I can smell raw sewage wherever I go. And that's when I know I'm too stressed out. That's when I kind of got to take a step back. So, I mean, you would think maybe this guy's having a stroke. Maybe this guy's under a bunch of stress. But no. He's not having a stroke. He's actually smelling these smells that don't exist. He's actually able to decipher what they're telling him. Then. While he's on tour in America, all of this stuff is going on. He feels himself float outside of his own body. 
the thing that is truly Dave Davies has now left his physical form. He's floating around the hotel room. He's like, oh, this is kind of weird. But I'm not having a stroke. I'm total this is totally fine. <laughs> this is totally fine for a member of the Kinks. He continues to smell the smells. He continues to feel like he's outside of his body. And as this tour is going on, at one point, he feels like a bow constrictor, a unseen bow constrictor, begins to wrap around his forehead and starts to squeeze tighter and tighter and tighter. He can feel the immense pressure inside his brain. Feels like his head's going to crack open. Like, Jason, this guy's clearly having some sort of medical emergency. All this stuff is happening in a matter of days. I think it happens over the course of a month or two. And he's hallucinating smells. He's flown outside of his body. That's never really a good thing if you do it accidentally. He feels like his head's about to pop open. Well, luckily, it's not a medical event. Luckily, because the voices in his head start to tell him, hey, no, 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 it's cool. We were tickling your nose with the sense. We were communicating you. We were communicating with you that way. But now are these voices in your head. So we can talk to you directly. But be careful what you say about us. Be careful what you say about us. Don't reveal everything we're going to tell you. Now, he was at the time dating a woman named Nancy Evans. And he started telling her what was going on, but only certain parts because the five ascended ones were telling him, we're going to say this, but don't tell Nancy. Don't tell Nancy this part. Now, that is super typical with schizophrenia. That is super typical with hearing voices, right? The voices may actually... They know that these outside people exist in your life, these family and these friends and these loved ones, and they will try to get you to deceive them. Oh, no, everything's fine, everything's fine. They'll tell you not to tell them they exist, or they'll tell you certain things, and they'll say, but don't tell Nancy I said that. Again, it sounds like a serious medical event. All of these things, if you went to a doctor, you would get diagnosed with with some... You'd probably be hospitalized. Now, he, I've been using the term the Ascended Masters. He uses the term the Intelligences. That's what he calls these five mystical beings that are communicating with him, and they begin to reveal truths to him. They say humans exist in a sea of energy. What we see as reality is not truly the reality. We're actually just swimming in this wide open ocean of nothing but pure energy, much like fish, right? When you say you're swimming in energy, he compares the intelligences, compare us to mental fish swimming unaware through the ocean. It is also revealed by the intelligences that nearby Earth, there is a massive spaceship that has computers on it. And in these computers... There is information about every man, woman, and child who have ever lived on the planet Earth. I don't know if that includes mutant babies in Delaware, but every single person who has ever lived on Earth, their information is stored in these computers. 
These aliens, or these intelligences, also tell him that they want to help him evolve to a higher vibrational level. They want to help him ascend. And the way to do that is to stop having sex. Now, he's a rock and roller. He was with a band called The Kinks, right? They got to live up to their name. But he is told no more sex. And almost like they could tell he wouldn't be able to stick to that one. The aliens numbed his entire genital region. Actually, his entire pelvis. And he goes, listen, I could walk totally normal. I could walk. I could do a little dance. I could play the guitar and put my leg up on one of the speakers. You got me going. But I couldn't feel my junk. It was completely numb. Now listen. When I was reading this, I go, this guy's clearly had a stroke. If not a stroke, an aneurysm or some sort of medical condition. These all could be explained away by underlying mental illness finally coming to the surface, a physical illness coming to the surface, leaving your body, feeling parts of your body being numb, I mean, at the very least a really bad pinched nerve, but also a stroke, like he can't feel parts of his body. But that, it's funny because when I read the story, that's what I was thinking. I, I read a bunch of different sources on this. Because Dave Davies is really, really open about this. And I think that's fascinating too. He ended up writing a book called Living on a Thin Line, which I guess is the name of one of his songs or a line from one of their songs. He's written two autobiographies. And in his second autobiography, he talks about the story. And he goes, yeah, I was going through all this stuff. These intelligences were communicating with me. And at the time, in 1982, when they're on tour, he's giving press interviews. He's talking to radio DJs. He's talking to newspaper. You know, as they're coming into towns, the local media does a story on them to talk about, hey, the Kinks are coming here. The Kinks sell more tickets to their concerts because people are going to go see them because they read about the newspaper, blah, 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 blah. It's all part of that press junket. And he would sit down with these journalists and they're like, hey, I heard you're doing a show coming up soon in Chicago. And he goes, yeah, my, my genitals are numb. By the way, people be like, what? And he would tell this story. He was telling the story at the time to journalists. And the newspaper people, the media had no idea what in the world was going on. Because he was talking about it very earnestly. He was speaking about it like, oh yeah, this happened to me. It's kind of weird, ain't it? My soul's floating outside my body. I smell a bunch of good smells in my nose. It's the aliens. They got that ship up. Has all the supercomputers on it. And the journalists are like, what in the world are you talking about? Nobody believed him. Nobody believed him. I was even reading a fairly new interview. And they asked, could it have been some sort of acid trip? Were you doing too many drugs? And Dave Davey goes, listen, I'm going to be honest. I have done LSD and mescaline, but very rarely. Like just a few times throughout my life. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. I was contacted by these intelligences. I was contacted by these ascended beings who were trying to help me go to the next vibrational level. And I could hallucinate these smells and I was leaving my body. Like, even in more recent interviews, and like I said, in his second autobiography, he talks about this. What's so fascinating about this is when you experience these things, they are normal to you. So the same way when someone goes, hey, what'd you do this week? And you're like, oh, I went out fishing. I went out. I got the boat. Me and Jerry kicked back, 
threw the rods in the water. It's a fun afternoon. You'll say that so matter-of-factually because that's what actually happened. What'd you do? I sat home and binged Game of Thrones. I was watching it for like the third time. It's a really good show. Yeah, it's da 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 You can say it matter-of-factually because that's what you actually did. Dave Davies experienced these things. So when he sat down to talk to somebody, he was saying it as if he went fishing or he was watching a television show that weekend. But it's so beyond the pale for anybody else, and especially back in 1982. When even saying, I saw a UFO, even if you said you saw something in the sky you couldn't explain, you were considered the crackpot who lives in the mobile home park on the outskirts of town. Just by saying, I saw something in the sky that I've never seen before. Nowadays, we have congressional hearings on that. There's articles in the mainstream media about that. Back then, really my entire childhood, really up until, I'd say, 2012, when you talked about believing in UFOs and seeing UFOs, you were considered a crackpot. It's only been very recent. And that's just seeing a UFO. This guy's talking about, I can't feel my genitals because the aliens want me to not have sex. That's so... That is so weird, even by today's standards. Even today when I was reading this, I was thinking, this guy is having some sort of health problem. But the more articles I read on it, I started thinking, whatever this was, he he believed it was real. Whatever this was, he actually believed it was real, and he didn't die, right? This story takes place back in 1982. The dude's still kicking around. And it's so interesting to me, because even me, who loves the world of the paranormal, who loves looking into the stuff, this stuff is too weird even for a lot of the stuff we cover on this show. Not really the astral projection, but the... You know, your genitals are numb. They're talking to you through smells. They're, the voices are telling you when the voices finally start being an auditory hallucination or an auditory message. They're telling him, don't say this, don't tell people that. The stuff with the spaceship and all the computers, like all of that stuff is so weird. Even in the world of the paranormal, it makes you take pause and it makes you go, is this guy, I, I believe that he experienced something. And he probably did experience this stuff. The question is, where, who are these intelligences? Why are they contacting him back in 1982? And we're not seeing anything else like this in the UFO reports. It's so weird. That's Again, I, I know I say this a lot on the show recently, but that's one of the reasons why I love covering this. Because of the weird stuff like this, it doesn't match anything we else we know in the lore. It does kind of when you talk about us swimming in the cosmic sea. That actually dovetails a lot into the law of attraction, how manifestation works. There's this nameless energy that connects all things, and we're just swimming in between it. So that kind of matches. The giant spaceship with the computers that have all the information of every man, woman, and child. That sounds almost dated at this point. We can do that on Earth now. That doesn't even sound super futuristic. We have those huge databases on Earth. So it's just a fascinating story. And I love the fact that this guy was experiencing this. And he's sitting down with these reporters. And they're basically laughing in his face. They're not physically laughing in his face. But they can't believe what he's telling them. They just cannot believe it. It became a joke. 
And he keeps telling the story, and the newsmen are like, that's just not real. Like, because he's a big celebrity, right? And they want to keep interviewing bands for the newspapers, they're not going to mock him outright. But even he knew that the message that he was spreading was not being taken seriously. But to him, it was as real as what you did last weekend. Because he experienced it. As incredible as it sounds, even to a seasoned paranormal researcher, this stuff is weird. And again, the first time I read it, I go, he must be having some sort of health ache. I don't know the kinks. I don't really know any of their music. I didn't know if this guy was alive or dead when I first started reading about this. I go, wow, this guy must have died shortly after this story. And then I started reading more and more interviews with him, and all of the information's consistent. He keeps saying the same thing over and over again. And then I saw the interview where he's like, no one took me seriously. And I was shocked. He was shocked that he figured that I have this message to spread to the world. I've been given this message from these intelligences. I can tell these other people, and they're like, what in the world are you talking about, bro? Just play your guitar. I did like this quote. I thought this was really interesting. And this is actually a good segue into tomorrow's episode as well. Let's look at this quote from Dave Davies. Because he's talking about this, right? He was he was experiencing what any normal person would call insanity. He has this quote. Quote, we may need to encounter madness. But if we allow the madness to take over, that is when we get into problems. Super interesting. Because that's true. He said he's always been interested in psychic phenomenon growing up. And I think when you do have an interest in the paranormal, when you do have an interest in a lot of these topics, you can find yourself getting obsessed with them. And that's okay. As long as you're able to pull yourself back from the brink. I would say that would be a good way to explain how I used to be a conspiracy theorist, was I was very obsessed with the world of conspiracy theories. But you pull yourself back from the brink. Like, he's having these thoughts, these intelligences are talking to him. He was experiencing what anyone else would call madness. But he didn't let it take over his life. The voices were telling him to do something contrary to who he was. You don't do it. At that point, you kind of got to start to really question the phenomenon. We may need to encounter madness, but if we allow the madness to take over, that is when we get into problems. The fact that he even said that makes me think that there were times these intelligences told him stuff that were contrary to who he knew he was. Just like you can be really into conspiracy theories and then you come into a, a certain conspiracy and you're like, uh, that doesn't ring right to me. Like, if I believe in that conspiracy theory, I don't think I would be a good person. And that will be our perfect segue into tomorrow's episode because we will meet a man who believed in conspiracies so much, so much, he did the unthinkable. It's okay to be attracted to the madness. It's okay to be a little obsessed with the madness. But whether you think the message is coming from a guardian angel or an alien intelligence or a conspiracy theorist who seems to have answers to every question, an Illuminati insider who broke free from the system, 
and now is telling you that the world is not what it seems. No matter who the message is coming from, you have to take a look at the madness that is slowly starting to surround you and go, this has been fun, but I cannot let this madness take over. Dave Davies was able to take a look at reality and madness. Dave Davies was able to take a look at these amazing messages he was getting from the intelligences and compare it to the day-to-day life, the day-to-day reality we all live. He was able to look at those two and tell the difference between the madness and the sanity. But tomorrow we'll take a look at a man who couldn't tell that difference. And truly innocent people ended up losing their lives. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day.